0: Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannan. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. For the latest news from in and around Fishers, Indiana, follow my news blog, LarryInFishers.com. You can receive email updates every time I post a news story. Just look to the right on the home page of my blog and enter your email address and you're on your way. Also follow me on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. The Hamilton Southeastern School District encompassing the entire city of Fishers and surrounding areas as well, is now the fourth largest school district in the state of Indiana. As a result, we have two large high schools. I spoke with the principals of each high school during the morning of Monday, December 30th. I'm at Hamilton Southeastern High School. I'm with Jason Urban, the principal of Fishers High School, and Chad Kripe, principal of Hamilton Southeastern High School. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking time out of your mostly quiet Christmas, New Year interlude in between students. Although you are working, uh, you don't have all the students and teachers
1: here, so it must be a
0: quieter time for you.
1: It's a nice time, actually, to just um, really dig deeper into some projects. We spent some time this morning collaborating on second semester, and so it's a nice change of pace. So uh, thanks for having us. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure to have both of you here.
0: My first time to meet uh, Chad
1: Kripe, I've missed Mr. Urban before. So what
0: I'd like each of you to do, and I'm going to ask Chad Kripe to start this, uh, each of you had an educational journey as, as educators that led you to become high school principals uh, so i'm going to ask chad crepe to give me your journey in education to where you are now
2: um sure uh you know it's very nice to meet you too and thanks for coming in on on your winter break mm-hmm. as well um you know you're a fun follow on twitter so it's, it's <laughs> nice to finally uh put a name with a face or face with a name but so um i started uh teaching at perry meridian high school uh, I was really involved in uh, social studies, especially uh, uh, looking at the AP classes and uh, really wanting to, to look into you know those. That's really when AP first kind of started to really become this now huge snowball that's now this avalanche. And so I was also really involved with coaching basketball. So I was at Perry Meridian. I went from Perry Meridian, uh, I had a chance to uh, be a a varsity assistant at Carmel on the basketball team so I taught at Carmel for a year Uh, and then I had my decided I I really wanted to be a head coach and so I went over to Southmont which is a small little uh, school in in Montgomery County uh, just south of Crawfordsville there and uh, was was a girls coach uh, their varsity coach for one year and then uh, had my break to really want to be a boys coach went up to New Prairie. Was at New Prairie as a as a basketball coach, uh, and then had my final uh, basketball coaching stop and, and teaching spot was at East Noble in Kendallville, Indiana. Um, knew that it was time to really wanted to look at becoming an administrator and, and uh, looking to you know change leadership. Um, you know I like to say a lot of people say, well, do you miss coaching? You know as as a principal, you're still coaching. You're just coaching people. You're you're not you're not coaching uh, uh, kids and they're not putting a ball through a hoop, but it's still coaching. It's still leadership, and that was really appealing to me. Uh, so I became an administrator at Manchester Junior Senior High School and uh, then moved on to become a principal at Tippecanoe Valley High School and then uh, was uh, lucky enough to uh, uh, have the opportunity to become the next principal at Hamilton Southeastern. So that's how I got here. And Jason
0: Urban, I think a good part of your uh, journey was through local schools, but tell us the whole journey for you.
1: Okay, the whole journey. Um, very similar kind of uh, coaching, teaching background as uh, Chad. I so uh, a social studies teacher as well. Um, taught basically every social studies class um, that, that you can. Uh, I've taught both at uh, Tipton High School and Westfield High School. During my time as a teacher, much like any new teacher, coached everything under the sun track, um, wrestling, football, uh, National Honor Society sponsor, all the things that you do. I uh, probably specialize most in football. Um, And uh, eventually got an opportunity um, to become an athletic director. That was my first step into administration. And I was the athletic director at Tipton High School for some time and then moved into a dean role there and then moved into an assistant principal role there and then moved in when Fishers High School opened up. I actually started off um, briefly as assistant principal and then moved into the principal position our very first year with seniors. If you remember way back when they split the schools, our first year at Fishers High School, we didn't have seniors. They wanted them to finish at HSE. And so our first year with seniors, uh, I was able to become principal. And then uh, it's been really an incredible journey. And I've been able to this point graduate uh, every class to go through Fishers High School.
0: I want to start off with uh, an issue that I, I – when I looked uh, nationally as to how suburban high schools are facing challenges and the principals are, are facing specific challenges, the, the issue of growing diversity in the suburban – large suburban high schools, That's con- it has been going on for a while here, as a matter of fact. When I moved to Fishers in 1991 – was not at all. It was less than ten thousand people. It was not a diverse community. HSC schools was pro- largely a, a, a rural area. A lot of very you know. There's still farm programs at HSC, but it was a much bigger part mm-hmm. of, of HSC schools at that time. So there's been growing diversity. My daughters were born in the mid '90s. You know, started school in the late '90s, and it was a different place. And I think the more diverse school that they went to was 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 uh, made them their education a more a rich education and, and it helped them. But there are challenges when you have growing diversity in your student population. So so talk about how a large suburban high schools such as your high schools handle this increasingly diverse student population. I'll ask Jason Urban to start.
1: Yeah. Um, certainly know that, um, and I'll echo that your statements, I mean, certainly enriches the educational experience. And I'm, I'm really, my wife and I were talking about that the other day with our own children going through HSA schools and just um, what a different experience it's been for them to, to have such diversity within their schools. And I think, it, you know, the, the that, that issue can be overwhelming at times. You know, How do you do that when so many people are on different parts of their journey and understanding uh, history and understanding structures and understanding different perspectives? But it's so important that we engage in that um, and that we continue to put that at the forefront and, and say, okay, how do, you, how do you recognize each individual student's truth? And how do you set up classroom conditions and how do you set up just a school culture where you value that and you're you're explicit about that, you know, that this is what we value and this is just part of the learning process is learning about the people in our community. Chad Kripp, your view on that?
2: I would just, you know, certainly uh, ditto the sentiments that uh, Jason just said. I also, you know, give a big... uh, thank you and and shout out to the district's equity team our building equity teams um you know something that uh you know i've not been part of a district equity team or had a district that's had an equity team let alone a building so it's been really fun and interesting uh, to 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 see the work that they do and 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 help support them um you know obviously uh it's it's something that's very much on the forefront of, of our minds as building leaders and, and certainly that we see in our in our classrooms and it, it definitely makes the education much richer and it makes our schools that much stronger.
0: I want to switch to something else. There are some uh, very compelling numbers on the dwindling number of students entering the schools of education at universities in Indiana and really nationwide. And when I, mean, I Looked at this last night. It was amazing how this is a national problem. It's an Indiana problem as well. So, I'm, I, let me st- st- stay with Chad for a moment. Y- talk about whether you have seen and your ability to fill your openings. Have, has this been and had an impact on, on the number of candidates you have for your openings?
2: Well, I mean, being new to HSE, it, it's really hard for me to say um, here. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really know, but certainly uh, as an as administrator in other schools, very much. Very, very much so. Obviously, I think uh, candidates are going to be attracted to working for Hamilton Southeastern Schools. We've got a great community. We've got outstanding teachers. We've got outstanding uh, students. You know, so this is going to be one a a place that you're going to see candidates. I do know, though. I, I can share my own story. Um, I remember being scared to death leaving school that you're not going to get a job as a social studies teacher. I mean, they just they just they just scared you. I, mean, I really honestly believe that. And, and you know, now you can probably I think social studies is still a competitive uh, market, mm-hmm. but there are there are certain licenses and, and teaching uh, certificates that it's not very competitive anymore. And I think that we are. I, you know, I saw that in applicants that even ones that we wanted that know that they are very well sought after they're not just you know looking well, okay i get a job they're they're, they're actually saying well okay i, I also want to look at these other schools and and that's what makes having a community like fisher's so great is that we're going to attract um you know those type of candidates so you're you're seeing it yes in numbers but also you know candidates in in, in your core content areas and especially the hard to find teachers they know that they are that they are a hot commodity so that that's certainly been an impact
1: Jason Erker. Uh Similar. I think, you know, at Hamilton Southeastern Schools, we do have an advantage as an attractive um, district for a lot of candidates. So we have a real advantage maybe over some other districts and looking at that shortage. But we're already seeing those signs, especially in science, math, computer science, special education. You see less and less candidates in those areas. Um, and so we're starting to see that. And, and I think, you know, it, the reality is it's a – it's a very demanding uh, job. It, it is. Uh, I think we could we could do a better job, maybe, um, as educators of, of championing the rewards of our profession. Um, I'm not sure that that narrative gets out there as much as we could, and so I'm always talking to our, our teachers and and actually actually our students. You know, you'd be good. You'd be you'd be a great teacher. You know, have you ever thought about teaching? Here are the advantages of teaching. You know, uh, I think we can do a lot more of that.
0: Let me just. Dovetailing on that, yep. uh, the state lawmakers have looked at maybe tweaking license requirements as one way of uh, dealing with this issue. I, I know that's been debated. A little bit of that has been done. In fact, I met a couple of people. I met one fellow uh, uh, a couple, three years back who had been an executive, retired, and was trying to get the proper certifications to go back and be a teacher for a certain number of mm-hmm. years. So, Chad Kreit, tell me. Uh, whether you think that licensing requirements and tweaking that could be uh, part of the solution, or are there there dangers there as well, as far as making sure you know how to run a classroom?
2: You, you know, it, it certainly is part of the solution. Um, the The tests are not easy um, to pass. The, the praxis test back in the day, mm-hmm. the CASA test is now. I mean, they're they're not they're not they're not easy. And you know, I, I have. Um, and my own daughter is, is trying to go and become a teacher and you know she's never been a very strong math student wants to teach English and here she is required to, to be able to have these math skills and um, there's certainly that also there's you know people like you mentioned that are that have some some job experience and have these experiences that would like to get into education or maybe retired and, and are looking to get into into education as well uh, that they bring with them all that experience there should be some credit for for knowing and, and having that workforce part so it's it definitely is part of the equation, and, and I would just stress that uh, you know trying to, to eliminate hurdles is, is, is what we need to do right now. Than mm-hmm. putting up these blocks that, that sometimes don't make sense, and you know I, I would ask some of these lawmakers to pass some of these tests because they're not easy.
0: <laughs> Anything you'd like
1: to add to that? Yeah, I totally agree. Totally okay. agree.
0: Uh, one major responsibility of a high school principal is to evaluate your teachers, your faculty members. You have large high schools so I remember even though I went to a fairly large high school, I'd see my principal in the classroom now and then and not all mm-hmm. the time. So my question to you is do you actually get the chance to get in the classrooms or do you need to delegate that? Jason, I'll ask you to start
1: uh, both. Um, you know that's the priority and so I think one of the big challenges of our job is there, there's so many uh, there's so many things you can could be doing and then you, you have to set that priority of, okay what, what's most important? gotta get in front of kids and I gotta get in front of teachers I could sit at my desk all day and, and so really just building in that time to walk into classrooms. Uh, we are fortunate, you know, a school our size, too. Uh, we've got a, some help administratively with that, with deans and assistant principals. And that's part of their job as well, to be in those classrooms. Um, so that's that's part of our role, is to just really get in there and to, to one, get an accurate kind of uh, picture of what's going on in the classroom. But then, two, to kind of assess, okay, what supports do our teachers need to, to make sure we're moving forward? So did the teachers
0: get a heads up at all if you're about to go in their classroom or do you surprise them, Chad? <laughs>
2: Uh, well, there's a little bit of both. I mean, the way that our system is set up, there's there's you know there's protocol uh, for you know long observations that are scheduled, and for short observations that are more kind of the pop in variety. But you know, what you always want to see is you always want to see great teaching, you know, and you want to see great instruction, which then you're going to get great learning. So anytime you get to see that, you know, I want to know. And so we certainly encourage teachers to say, "Hey, I'm doing something really cool today. If you get a chance, come on down." And you know it. it the hard part is you don't get to always go on down. You know, you'd, you'd want to see there. Like Jason saying, being in front of teachers and being in front of uh, uh, of students is what it's all about. Um, you know, I love being in the classroom. Uh, again, I think that's where you get to provide leadership and uh, get to provide support. Uh, and you, you can't do either if you don't really know, have an idea of what's going on in that classroom. So being there is very, very important.
0: You know, Jason, you mentioned that you, if you wanted to, you could sit behind your desk all day. And, and that made me think of something. A complaint I used to hear, and I haven't heard it as much lately, and I'd like to hear from both Mm -hmm. of you, is that, and it's not necessarily your school corporation. Sometimes it's just federal, state, it's just a stack of requirements. And I I was a federal government manager, and I saw that. You know, you try to find time to deal with your own people when you're dealing with all of the vagaries at the job. They used to call it paperwork. I'm not sure that's a a term that applies today. It could be the paper is less around. It's still around, but not like it used to be. Do you think that there are some issues that could be dealt with as far as the the administrative burden on on principals, where you'd like to spend your time doing other things, and you you find you're spending your time too much on on rote administrative
1: type activities? I think it's you know it's all important, right? Um, and so, with when you're looking at schools our size, you know, thirty six hundred students, you know, your role is more of that CEO. Um, and so it does look a little bit different. Um, and so I think um, you've got to find a way to manage your team in a way that you can meet all those needs. Um, and so I think uh, one of the things that I really, you know, am, am, I, am I out there setting a vision? Am I communicating vision? Do people know about the vision? And are some of these other tasks or those things that can be handled by other staff members or in other ways? I think that's the only way you can really manage a school that size. Chad Craig.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm learning. uh, Obviously, you know, being in a school now of 3,400 coming from a school where we had 600 as an administrator is a big difference. Now, I've taught in in large buildings. You know, I've taught taught at Carmel, taught at Perry, taught at East Noble, so... Certainly been in, in you know over a thousand and you know even larger than what we have now, but the role of a principal here is much different. And, and I'm I'm learning. I'm you know I'm certainly uh, watching and learning from what Jason's doing, uh, trying to take in as much as I can. Um, it is very much a managerial role. Um, you know you've got to learn very much how to delegate. Um, I don't mind delegating. You know, if you ask my wife, she said that's all I do is delegate chores <laughs> at home. But uh, learning learning how to delegate, you know, where before I, I wouldn't have anyone to do certain. You just you just did it. So that's been a big adjustment uh, is learning how to just manage and, and and delegate and then rely on 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 your people. And uh, it, it's it's a, certainly been a learning process, but it's one I'm really enjoying.
0: Now, Matt Kegley was your predecessor at Hamilton Southeastern High School. I've been there for several years, but he's now a central office administrator. And he recently presented a series of changes to the high school curriculum. He presented that to the school board. So what I'd like to do is is, is ask you each to talk about the range of courses that are offered at the high school level, provide some insight on And how these decisions are made to add and subtract courses and i'm going to go back to chad kripe on that one
2: sure um you know these all started really the department level for the most part you know a a teacher might have an idea or you know hey i really like to teach this and that would go to the department chair uh the department chair would then bring it uh in my building to, to my assistant principal mrs brown they would sit there and they would talk um most of the time, I, I'm usually brought in either in that conversation, or then you know if it's something we really like. We want to see, you know, really what we want to do is all provide about providing opportunities. You know, the more opportunities we can provide are great. You know, if we have the licenses and it's something that the teachers are are passionate about, and they want to share that passion and enthusiasm to the to the students, and then you know you're going to have a really good class. And then making sure that that all fits, and that you know we think it's it would be an addition, uh, both you know with rigor and and certainly provide a. a opportunities in our curriculum we're all for it so it kind of goes you know through the through the food chain kind of that way and then eventually uh we would present it to mr kegley and then mr kegley would present it to the board and the board uh uh would either at that point give it a seal of approval at any point you know you're kind of looking to kind of pass through that that door or get over that hurdle and um that's how classes get added
1: And Jason Urban, you've been through that process many times. Yeah, many times. And I think what's unique about our district is the two-high school system. So you have to have buy-in from both high schools um, for that class to go because our course description guides have to be the same. And so we have to provide those same opportunities. But I'll echo what Chad said. I mean, anytime you have a teacher who is excited about a class, it it kind of fits their talents and and their interests, Uh, we want to support that as much as we possibly can and make that go because we think excited teacher, excited student.
0: Hey, you, you made a point earlier about, about let's say, computer science, how yeah. difficult it is sometimes to find a teacher. Yeah. And there have been occasions, and still are, where you may be not able to find the, the faculty members to teach a class. I think computer science is one. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what it's like now, but at one time it was only available at HSE because you couldn't get a teacher at Fisher's that you felt could, could teach it, and you would actually find a way to get the students to the other school. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there are cases where Fishers has uh, offerings and HSC has offerings not offered at the other school.
1: What are some of the examples of that now that you're aware of? So one of the things that we've added recently is a sound production class. Um, and so we redid a, a performing arts area. And it. it's a really popular class um, couldn't really replicate that or spend the money to replicate the lab at both high schools. It didn't make sense. And so HSE students travel to Fishers to, to do that. And, and on the other, the other way, same thing with the welding lab at HSE. So students who are interested in welding then will travel to HSE and, and go to those classes.
0: And that brings me to another question I want to bring up because there's been a lot of talk recently about preparing students for the working world if they are not, in fact, pursuing a college Degree. Now, one program that's going to begin very soon is the Hub and Spoke Project mm-hmm. under construction now, and it will basically work and, and, and partner with HSC schools to prepare people for the building trades where there's a huge demand and that there's some pretty good paying jobs there if people want to pursue that. Uh, so I'd like you to do, and I'm asked to Chad Kripe to start, about your high school preparing students for life if they do not choose the university.
2: Well, you know, we're, we're certainly all about preparing students to be successful once they leave here, whatever that is. If that's going to be successful at an inner university, or is that going to be successful in the workforce? Is that going to be successful in a trade? You know, what, what does that look like? And, you know, success is, is, can be defined differently by even each individual student. So, um, again, just to providing as many opportunities as we can uh, to have students when they leave HSE and they graduate that they have something, whether that's, you know, going on to college and I'm ready to be successful there. Um, or, or I, you know, hey, that college isn't for me, but I want to be able to go learn how to do a trade or, you know, looking at other options, you know. So the, certainly um, you know, the hub and spoke is something we're excited about in our community and something I know the district is, is we're, we're looking at doing all kinds of, of some fun and innovative things. And, you know, again, I'll stress more opportunities for our students is always a good thing.
1: Jason Urban. what's been interesting over the last three years uh, since we've done the College and Career Academy additions to both high schools that that was more than just a building project it was a curriculum project as well and one of the things that we were we saw is that you know despite you know our best efforts through counseling our students just weren't signing up for many vocational classes Um, part of that is they had to travel to the vocational center um, down at North Central's campus in Indianapolis and so, one of the things was a concerted effort, and I'll give a lot of credit to um, Central Office Administration for supporting this, and uh, is to bring some of those programs in house. And so uh, we now have a nursing program in-house. We expanded the the welding program at HSE. Uh, medical assisting is next. Uh, we have an EMT program now, and we've tripled the number of students who are taking vocational classes. And I also, uh, despite what uh, I'll 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 just say this about the new graduation requirements that the state's putting out there. I think the spirit of that is great. in the idea of, you know, that is our job to equip students with at least um, some type of uh, the skills to be successful in whatever their next is going to be. And if that is the trades, then we that's our job to expose them to what is actually out there, what could be possible. And I think some things that we've done with expanding vocational opportunities, the Hub and Spoke Project, um, but I also think with the growth in our internship program, we've got a, such a variety of internships um, that our seniors are doing. Uh, I think we're, so, we're doing such a better job than we do, were doing even five years ago of exposing our students to new possibilities. Um, college still may be what they do, but, but at least they know a little bit more about the adult world, the work world, um, while in high school.
0: Yeah, internships are, are just outstanding. And I know there's been a lot of talk mm-hmm. at the school board level, mm-hmm. and, and I was filtered down to yeah. you that that body wants to make sure that there are more internships available, mm-hmm. and then we're, we're working with the city and the, the private yeah. sector. Uh, I hate to bring this up, but you know, principals are in charge of student discipline, mm-hmm. and on occasion you have staff discipline. Uh, mm-hmm. That Not as often, but that mm-hmm. obviously could come up. So i asked jason urban to start with this how do you approach the discipline issue when it comes before you how do you What's your mindset? What's, is there a template or just an approach you have as you look at every discipline issue that comes before you? And you're talking about staff discipline? I'm talking about either one.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think with anything, um, you have to give people process, right? Uh, you have to give people opportunity to uh, give their side of the story. Um, and then uh, that's your job then to, to figure out, you know, weigh it and, and take appropriate actions. I feel like we've developed a nice process for student um, discipline that's clear the expectations are clear i mean that's anytime you're you're developing that you want to, people want to know what to expect and and i think we do that uh, at a high level with students and then with our our staff as well i mean the expect as long as you have clear expectations um people know if, if they're in violation of that and 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 know what um would likely happen next if they are
0: well you've been involved in a number of schools uh, chad kripe your approach to that
2: uh, you know, very similar to what what Jason is saying. I, you know, I think with students, um, you know, being young teens, sometimes we don't always do and act the way you want them to. But I think as long as it's uh, done with a restorative practice in mind, and that we're you know you're trying to 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 teach them and, and lead them that this is maybe a better way to make or a better decision that you need to make in a similar situation that we're doing really good. You know, certainly trying to get away from from being punitive um, if, if we don't have to be. Uh, Unfortunately, there are times and, and things that come up that do require some some punitive things that have to happen. But uh, you know that, that that's certainly a, a change just in education, looking at a more restorative practices mm-hmm. and the idea of you know discipline. You know comes from that idea of, of providing that leadership and about hey, if you're faced with a situation, maybe this would be a better way to act in the future and, and really you know trying to help kids instead of just punishing kids. You know and, and, and you know. Very rarely I, has it ever come up in my career that, you know, staff, but, you know, if it is, there are certainly pro- proper protocols and procedures to follow, and, and you make sure you do. And I, I think the biggest thing is just going with an open mind and, mm-hmm. and understand, like, you know, make sure they have all the facts and understand the situation at hand.
0: Yeah, when I worked for the federal government in various different roles, I, I became acquainted with this this concept of progressive discipline, mm-hmm. So you look at the situation, and you know, and take, and, and you'd have actually a table of certain offenses and where you would put that. So there's some continuity and some expectation. I think you both mentioned that. Now, when you have a community like the HSC school community, which takes in the entire city of Fishers and many surrounding areas, you have two high schools. This is, by the way, the fourth largest school system in the state. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, you're your large to begin with. Uh, when you have two high schools, it's automatically going to create a rivalry. You know,
1: we, uh, I, I live in. you clarify, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah, rivalry. I have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. I,
0: uh, but I remember when we had one high school, when Fishers came on, you know, and you talked about the athletics. Mm-hmm. You know, you were here the first year there were seniors. You know, it takes a while for an athletic program to build up. And right. HSE gave Fishers a lot of, lot of static early, but that has evened out a bit, I mm-hmm. think, uh, over the years. But rivalry can be a very healthy thing. Yeah. But when I covered education in Columbus, I I saw the Columbus-East-Columbus-North High School rivalry get out of hand occasionally. And the interesting thing was it was never the students, it was the adults <laughs> that tend to get out of hand, in my experience. So I, I'm curious, uh, how would you describe the state of the rivalry between your two schools? I'm going to ask Chad Cripe because this is your first school year to, to be in the school
2: system. Yeah, well, I think it's fun first and foremost, you know, rivalries are fun and, and they should be fun. Um, you know, we're, we're very, very excited this year that, uh, the possible, I guess, having to come over to HSC's <laughs> way, you know, um, but last year um, it, was
0: fish uh, it was, well, I, I, and
2: I, I don't know about last year, so no. it was a lot, of, You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, certainly, you know, that I've you've got to witness the mud sock, uh, and really in anything, uh, I, you know, so all the sporting events have been great. Um, you know, right now, obviously the Mud Sox are a little in question right now. We're 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 behind the eight ball a little bit here, but uh it's been great to be at both the girls and boys' basketball game, you know, the football game, what an amazing atmosphere that was. Um, you know, the girls volleyball game here was was really one of the most competitive High school sporting events I've yeah. been at, um, you know, and so uh, it, it just it, it amps it up, and it and it's a lot of fun. I think any time the rivalries that can be fun, then then it's great. You know, also as long as that competition is is working to make each other better, that's when it's really good. You know, obviously I want the Royals to win. If the Royals can't win, then I hope the Tigers win, and and as long as that's where it's at, then then, it, then it's great. You know, when it gets away from that, you know, when, when you don't you don't want to root against someone. And then, then then you know, that's just kind of, that's when it gets, the silly business happens. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes in competition, you can kind of lose your mind a little bit. I've done it as a coach, as a player, and and it's hard to do. But I I think the rivalries are fun. I think the competition is great as long as it's healthy. And, and, uh, you know, we're certainly excited to compete and and love the atmosphere that's created.
0: Yeah, I'd love to to cover a mudsock about when I can. I I was able to be there for the boys' basketball game, Mm. but I wasn't able to go to the girls' game. But I talked to Todd Houston, our state representative. He was at both games. He told me later that the girls' game was, was maybe even a better game. They were both really good, but I'm sorry I missed that.
1: Yeah, it was a great atmosphere at both mm-hmm. both games. And the girls' game came down to a last-second shot, um, of course, uh, and Fishers was lucky to prevail in that. And obviously two great teams right now, two teams that are competing you know, in the hunt for a state championship. So that kind of elevates everything. And, and it, uh, I'll, I'll say exactly with Chad, I mean, I love rivalries. I mean, I love the – uh, spirit, the emotion that it produces, um, and within reasons that that can be healthy. I do think, you know, from the student side of things, it has cooled down a little bit from what I witnessed maybe the first years of the rivalry. It seemed like a... There was a lot more emotion around that. Our students seem to, uh, you know, they go to school with each other and, and have friendships on both sides. And it's good to see them at halftime talking to each other. And um, But it, it's I remember, you know, just I love the documentary of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, you know, and, and how they always wanted to beat each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that drove them to excellence. And I, and I feel like we have that across the board in our programs with HSE. You know, we have this sister school, that we have this rivalry, but man, both of us benefit so much from that um, to just help us kind of um, improve. I have to tell you, when I retired from the federal government, after 28
0: years, they gave me a retirement dinner. That was the same night as the Fishers-HSC football game. I had to give my daughters dispenta- dispensation to go to the game, and they didn't have to, to it because I knew what a big deal it was. I've got one last question sure. for, for, for each of you here. Uh, Teachers and principals are held responsible by the state for student achievement. Mm -hmm. I've never met a teacher or principal that objected to meeting certain standards, but I have had some complaints from teachers, and occasionally an administrator will say this, about how the state defines the achievement goals. Uh, That's been a point of contention at times, particularly the state-mandated testing regime, which has sort of been in flux in recent years. So here's my question. I'll ask uh, Chad Kripe to start. What would you consider a fair student achievement standard to look like?
2: Wow, Uh, (laughs) that's a huge question. Um, You know, each student is going to learn differently, and, and each student's success is defined differently. So just to have a blanket all right, here's where we need to get to for everybody is it makes it very, very already your system is flawed, you know, and then you can even look at the testing and when it's given. And I mean, then there's just a, you know, whether it's computer and then on paper. And I mean, there's just a million flaws in the system, right? I think everybody's okay with being held accountability accountable. I mean, you're held accountable for the job you do wherever your job is. And, and, and we have the most important job of all. And so, um, you know, I don't know really know exactly how to, to answer that. I think, like you said, everybody is okay with accountability, um, but but each individual student success, you, you really got to look at that. And, and you know, what, what is what is success for this student? You know, could be completely out of reach for another student, or you know, maybe hey this student did really really well but we could have gotten him a lot further right so there's there's all different types of in, in defining success is just this is what it is it, it needs to be individualized to really have any you know for sure this is this is how we're going to look at it so
1: jason urban your thoughts a uh, similar accountability is a great thing i mean again i think we could do a better job in education on how we talk about accountability um At the same time, there have been so many flaws in the tests, uh, especially the high school level. I mean, um, changing tests, uh, you know, it's not like students are with, uh, you know, moving from one teacher to another. We can really show growth. It's just not aligned in a way that really informs instruction. Um, And that's just part of just the structure. But stay tuned, because I think Hamilton Southeastern Schools is – have, have recognized this issue and really engaged in some exciting work, uh, in developing portrait of a graduate and and really identifying Mm -hmm. the skills that they they say, okay, we're not going to identify ourselves maybe by test scores. And we really don't know where that's going to go. And we, all we know is going to continue to change, but let's identify ourselves in a different way that our graduates are going to master these skills. And that's something we can do internally, that we can regulate, okay, in this class, through this project, by looking at an authentic audience and presenting to community members, our students have shown these employability skills at a high level, and they've grown in these, these areas. We're starting that work right now, and I'm really excited about that work because I think we will be able to define in new and different ways um, accountability and success.
0: Well, I'm gonna just one last thing yeah. here. I'll give you each an open-ended question. Uh, we're just about out of time. Just uh, anything you would like to add that I didn't think to ask, or you just like to make a point about Chad Krepp. I'll ask you to start with that.
2: Uh, just you know how proud I am to be the principal at Hamilton Southeastern High School. Uh, you know my my family now we're we're, we're living fishers. Uh, it's it's been great to be a part of this community. I've just the the students are just absolutely amazing. I see great instruction and teachers do a a fantastic job. Uh, I feel great to be part of the leadership team and the communication we have with our central office. It just, uh, you know, every day, you know, wake up and I pull in, it's really almost a dream come true to think, yeah, I'm gonna be the principal at Hamilton Southeastern High School. So it's been a great uh, first half of year. And I I hope that I'm lucky enough to be here 13 years later like my counterpart has been and uh just uh want to thank uh jason for all his help he's been a great sounding board uh and just uh, very excited about where the royals are at and where we're going to go in the future and uh very nice to meet you and thank you for your time
1: and um Jason Urban, same question. Um, thank you for the spotlight that you put on our, our district, and and uh, especially um, the the highlights that you give to all the things our students and, and teachers are doing in, in our schools. It is a an amazing place and. Um, I I love my job in the sense that I get to hire staff members and staff members who will eventually move here and raise families here and and their children be product of our schools. And that's just uh, very powerful to know that I have a role in that because I, I feel so strongly about the experience here. I can't say enough, and I say this to my staff all the time, I just, the, the, the quality of the people that we put in front of our, our young, um, young people in this district every day is, is amazing. And, and that's what gets you out of bed early. That's what gets you in the office early to keep working uh, for those people. Um, we work in an environment that just, just keeps you young. And, and there's something about that and it's something that's really unique to our jobs. And, and I, I can't thank this community enough for the support they've given our school, our teachers and our students and, and, and the support they've given me in this journey. It's, it's been uh, just an unbelievable ride and, and, and so rewarding. And uh, I just appreciate the, uh, the time and, and thank you again for uh, this opportunity just heard Jason
0: Urban, principal of Fishers High School. Also with me today, Chad Kripe, the principal of Hamilton Southeastern High School. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com and you can also follow me on Twitter, at Larry in Fishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.